calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Taking a little trek through the Canadian wilderness this week. It's episode 426 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Just feel like doing something different. This week I found a new show on Paramount Plus called Sky Man that's going to be premiering on july the 10th that's the sunday it's not just a medical drama there's some high stakes adventure here you're talking about pilots in the canadian wilderness flying to save people's lives it's just such a fun and cool show got a bunch of the members of the cast to talk about this week natasha callis morgan holmstrom and thomas elm's going to join me to talk about all things skymed and trust me this is one that you're going to want to be interested in also going to talk about Stranger Things Season 4, the finale. We'll talk about that with spoilers. No spoilers in my review of Season 3 of The Boys, that finale. I'm going to talk about that as well. Some very interesting Marvel stuff going on. A few trailers, and yeah, I'll even get to some Comic-Con stuff too. But let's get right to it and talk about SkyMed with the cast of that series next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, it's Larissa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You wouldn't want to have an emergency right in the middle of the Canadian wilderness. That is unless the SkyMed crew was there. The brand new Paramount Plus series is going to be streaming on July the 10th. And I actually got a chance to talk to plenty of members of the cast of the series. Going to start with Natasha Callis and Morgan Holmstrom playing Haley and Crystal, respectively. Let's see what they had to say. All right, Natasha and Morgan, let's talk a little SkyMed, shall we? So I think one of the things that's pretty obvious about this show is that it's far from your typical medical drama, which I really, really love. But what do you guys, what do you both think really sets this show apart from what viewers have seen before? Yeah, I mean, I think, what, as you said, it's, it's a really fun, adventurous show. I think a lot of medical dramas are, I mean, attractive to audiences because they're very high stakes. But, you know, this doesn't take place only in a hospital. It's we're out in the elements and we are, you know, on beautiful locations. And so I think the adventurous sort of hands-on in the elements but also high stakes medical drama element of that um, sets it apart. And I think another thing is that we're all, you know, up in the sky and, and saving lives and helping people up, but then we all live together in a crew house. So you get that really interesting dynamic where it's so much more than teamwork. It's we're, we're all bonded and we're, we're really a family. So it's fun to follow the, the pilots and the nurses home after a, a long day too. What do you think, Morgan? Would you add to that at all? One of the common themes of the show is the North makes you grow. And I think you'll see that 
through and through throughout the show right to the very end and you know another common theme that they talked about for the show is we take care of our own and you'll see that too with all the characters and and everything that we go through it really rings true for all of us so yeah all right now let's tease a little bit because both of your characters are nurses and now crystal's a native haley's coming from well outside of thompson so how much can you tell us about how well they're getting along early on in the season <laughs> you know i think there's a little bit of animosity at the beginning i think crystal she's kind of one of the veterans of the group and she's you know one of the people that's been around the, the longest and that's her community up north so everything i think to her is very personal deeply personal and when a new flight nurse comes in who maybe doesn't have as much training as her, doesn't maybe think it, take it as seriously as she does. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of tension that builds up between the two of them. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that also plays into Haley growing too, because I think she she comes into the SkyMed world and she's a little bit in on, over her head and crystal gives her a little bit of tough love and and so i think she really feels like she has to prove herself not only to crystal and to the others but also to herself and i think that ultimately makes her grow and you know makes her become a better nurse i actually think she has a little tough love patch like on her on her uniform that we just don't see because that's certainly something that i get from crystal for sure and i love her for it though i do love her for it Natasha, I think that you touched on something really interesting that you said about them, not just working together, but living together as well. And I think that's a neat element of the show, too. So do you do you both think that are those circumstances, does that create more fun? Does it create more drama or is it really kind of a little bit of both? I think it's a little bit of both, for sure. I think that any scenario that you're living in a house together, that there's going to be, you know, and uh, some, you know, fights, some hookups some whatever it's kind of like in college you're all living together in the same spot and going through you know some really trying times together so I think you you at the end of the day have to lean on each other there's lots of drama but it's still lots of fun that you you find together at the end of the day so Natasha we kind of found out very early on in this first episode no spoilers of course that Haley has something very personal and potentially very a very big deal that she's dealing with. So how much can you tease for us about that and how much it will affect her throughout this whole season? Yeah, I think, you know, you'll find out pretty quickly or sense pretty quickly that Haley's running from something. She she moves to Thompson, all of her bags are packed and she's ready to live in the North and be in that world and escape her life in the city. And, you know, I think she's running from some of her demons. And throughout the show, you know, you start piecing together more information and eventually you find out what exactly it is. And, and I think you understand Haley a lot more. And I think you, um, I think there's going to be people who, who relate to her and her vulnerability and also her, her, her like closed walls and why she wanted to hide from this and not tell anybody. And so, yeah. And then at the end of the season, it all kind of comes together and, and, and it leaves people wondering what's going to happen. So I think it's very exciting and it's a, it's a very beautiful character arc for sure. I would totally agree with that. Now, Morgan, Crystal's got her own secrets too, and they're not small secrets either, but I mean, it actually involves another character on the show. Again, I don't want to spoil who that is for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. So is this something that's going to play a larger role throughout the season? Does this put a lot of pressure under Crystal? How much can you tell us? Yeah, I guess not giving too much away. You know, there is a person that she has, um, a deep history with in the show. And I think you'll find out later on why there's a lot of animosity between the two of them as well. <laughs> I can't give too much away, but yeah, I think Crystal's really going through it too. And she's also running away from something. So you'll find out later in the show. Oh, there's no doubt about that. You can already tell that that thing's coming. So as I'm watching this first episode, ladies, it felt like you as a cast just had such great chemistry right off the bat. How much fun was it working with everyone on this show, especially since a lot of you are, are actually from Canada. So that has to make it a little bit more cool as well. Oh, yeah, it was it was so much fun. We actually all lived in the same apartment building in, in Winnipeg. So that was also a really fun element because not only are our characters going out to the day and working and then coming home and living together, but we also were too. And we joked that it was our sort of like college dorm room experience because we all would like leave our doors unlocked and we'd be like, okay, whose place? Who, like, who's having movie night tonight? And we'd have games nights and 
we'd all go to the gym together. And so it was honestly so fun and we became so close. And I think that's also really going to translate when you're watching the show that we genuinely are a family and it was so much fun. And yeah, I mean, me and Morgan are like neighbors. We, we hang out and see each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we actually live down the street from each other. So <laughs> before I let you ladies go, since the setting is so unique, like we've been talking about, it's not your normal everyday, like medical training, something that's always, that, that's not something that's always going to help in the field. So how much training did you all do to prepare for this? And how amazing were the writers in this series to kind of go, get really outside of the box with these patient interactions as well? When we all first landed in Winnipeg, we had a day of, we sort of broke up into two. We had the nurses and then the pilots and the pilots had pilot training with real pilots and they went on real planes and they learned how to, you know, what all the controls mean. And, and then we had EMT training and we, you know, learned all of the basics and, and, and whatnot, which was pretty cool. And then we actually all got to go up flying, which was also really amazing, an amazing experience. So I think the writers and Julie and Vanessa, they made it really authentic because they really wanted us to, you know, sink our teeth into this role, into these roles and, and learn all of everything about it. And it's also interesting because Julie, Puckrin, our showrunner, based SkyMed off of her sister and her brother-in-law who were SkyMed in the north and they, that's how they met. She was a flight nurse and he was a pilot and so a lot of the um, storylines actually are based off of true events that really happened. So that was also a really exciting and fun and you know I think authentic part of, of the show too is that a lot of it is based off of real things. Well, grab an orange, get ready to practice your suturing skills while you're watching the first nine episodes of Sky Med when it premieres Sunday, July the 10th on Paramount+. Plus. Morgan, Natasha, thank you so much, ladies, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. Thanks for having us. Of course, it's not just nurses on Skyman. We also have the pilots as well. And Thomas Elms returns to the show. Of course, I've talked to him before about his role in The Order. So I wanted to get a chance to talk to him about Novak on Skymed as well. Let's check in with Thomas. Paramount Plus has got a new medical drama, but it's far more than that, called Skymed. It's going to be coming out on July the 10th. And this is a guy we've had on the show before. You might remember him from The Order. Ah, Hamish himself. That's right. It's Thomas Elms. Thomas, what's up, man? Hey, good to see you again, James. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hey, man, it's good to have you back. So SkyMed, like I said, very different than some of the other shows and movies that you've been a part of in your career, actually. So what was it like and what was, what did it, what was it that actually drew you to this project? That's a cool question. I think it came at a time for me where I really felt like I'd made a massive leap in terms of my acting abilities. I just felt this like massive jump. It was almost like I leveled up over the course of a few months and it was like right at the end of the whole pandemic you know, the industry being shut down. And I was really looking to make a major change in sort of the way I guess the industry viewed me. A lot of the time, I think we're kind of stuck in the, you get typecasted a lot based on what you look like. And that is usually where you sort of remain, like that's sort of your ballpark in TV and, and film. So if you get a chance to sort of rewrite the script, I figured why not? And I, you know, was wanting to do something a bit more actiony and a bit more like, you know, you have your fantasy projects that you want to work on, but it, it, I was also doing a lot of physical training at the time. I picked up martial arts again. That was a huge, huge, you know, force of good in my life. And I think it really contributed to why I was feeling like I just sort of leveled up in terms of my acting over in, in the span of a few short months. And then it was like I was getting some good auditions in, you know, for cool projects, action stuff. It was almost like, you know, all the meditation and, you know, manifestation stuff was starting to work you know the start stuff was starting to show up in, in terms of the job opportunities and then SkyMed came along I remember it was like one of the easier auditions I've ever done which was incredible uh, they had some really really cool scenes that obviously aren't released yet but I'm really looking forward to to you seeing those because you know for me getting to do that audition and then actually getting to be a part of the project it's always cool when you remember the scenes that you first, you know, applied for the job with, and then you're actually there doing it. It just seemed like a cool adventure show. It seemed like a departure from the characters I'd played previously on television. And also, I mean, man, like I hadn't, I hadn't had a job in the acting industry for going on a year, I think. I was starting to seriously reconsider my life decisions, and maybe business school was a, you know, a smarter idea. You know, it, it, it really... It came at a time where I was making a major shift in my life towards the positive. And, you know, I feel like it was, you know, it was the right time to, to book a show like that. 
And boy, did that work out for you. We'll get into that a little bit more in just a second here, too. But Noak's actually, Noak's actually one of the pilots on the, so, on the show, so I'm sure you had you know, some training to do, prepare for the role and things like that. So what was it yeah. like going through some of the flight training and learning some of the inner workings like that? Uh, it was very cool, man. Like, like I'm a gamer. So for me, I've always wanted to sit in an X-Wing or something like that, you know, and this was the closest I've gotten to actually feeling that like they created the interior of, it was maybe about mm, 15% larger to accommodate camera equipment and a crew and stuff like that. But they created, you know, a, a scale replica of, you know, one of these twin propeller uh, planes and man, just getting to sit in that thing, you know, it's hot, it's cramped. You've got this seat belt in, there's nowhere to really go, but there's all these incredible stuff. So me, my gamer instincts kicked in. I'm like, all right, where's my missiles? Come on. Like there, that's gotta <laughs> the be the missiles. booster jets there. Um, <laughs> that would certainly make clearing the runway a little easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Man, they were telling me in the first couple of days of filming, like, Tom, you gotta just, you gotta turn down the amount of stuff you're doing in the plane, man. There's just not. And the reality is like when you're mid, uh, you know, mid flight, there's, there's not that much to do control wise. You sort of monitor things, you know, you have a chat, you have a coffee, you go over, you know, the flights, you look at the map. Other than that, you're kind of just chilling, but it's takeoff and landing that's the most involved. And so when we got to do some of the action sequences involving the plane, like it was just for me, it kind of tickled that inner, you know, that inner geek that, you know, always wanted to do a sci-fi or a fantasy. And it, it was incredible. So there's some really, really amazing scenes that Mercedes and I shot because obviously like it's an adventure show. Stuff, stuff's got to go wrong. Stuff out of the ordinary has got to happen. And you know, they get into some extreme circumstances, like stuff that would only happen in like the the most extreme, wildest cases of remote medical practice and 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 piloting. So, yeah, it was a, it was a thrill, man. It was it was a, it was a thrill all the way through. I love how you threw X Wing in there, like you don't know that there's a Rogue Squadron movie coming up that could just be itching for a pilot. Oh, I mean, maybe it maybe it is. You I'm never just know. saying. I'm just saying. Maybe hey, I'm you, manifesting it right now, James. You don't maybe have to we'll throw play. it out there because I will. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, man. All right, Thomas. When we meet Noak in the first episode, though, we don't want to spoil anything, of course, but, you know, he seems seems a bit on the serious side, and we see yeah. the episode progress. We get to learn a little bit more about him. So how would you actually describe him and how much we're going to learn about him in upcoming episodes? Well, he definitely becomes more involved as the journey progresses. All the characters sort of have their various, you know, arcs where they're they're more involved in the show there's a, there's a lot of main characters in this series it's it's what i love about it he's you know obviously i i like to think of novak as kind of the sort of the lone wolf kind of kind of guy he doesn't really want to sit down at the campfire with the rest of the gang and saying kumbaya but he's perfectly happy to kind of prowl you know you know around and just you know he's he likes i think he he fancies himself a bit of a guardian and i think he wants to become a leader he's Obviously not the most gifted when it comes to interacting with people, but, you know, I think we'll get to see that armor melt a little bit as the season progresses. So that's what I'm excited for everyone to kind of discover when it comes to my, my piece of the pie. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your characters don't just work together, though. They live together, too, which makes things very, very interesting. So when you have a group yeah. dynamic like that, everyone's got like their role, right? Like, you were kind of touching on that a minute. So what's what's Novak's role? You think in sure. this group. Um, and that's actually touching on something you asked earlier. It's one of the reasons I did, I was first drawn to the idea of a project like this because it kind of felt like these guys are all on deployment. You know, they're all, they're all, you're living on this frat house slash army barracks up in the middle of nowhere, flying, you know, graveyard flights and working at a bar just to make ends meet. And it's just sort of a bit savage, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's not quite as civilized, but there was something about that idea of the team, the unity of the team. And, you know, obviously there, there are people that don't get along with each other and, you know, Novak in general doesn't really play well with others. I think he's perfectly happy to just kind of take the lead on things and not have to have his authority question. But of course, that's not the way it goes. You know, he's not as competent and as, as he likes to believe and that's part of his journey, I think is learning to sort of, you know, live with other people, live with himself. You know, these guys are all on some journeys and, and they're, they're taking big risks in their lives. They've got big dreams that they're trying to accomplish and it requires some, you know, some sacrifice. And it's, I think it's part of the reason why people are going to love these characters. It's, you know, there's a little piece of everyone, you know, in this show 
you know, and they've given so much love to the stories and the people that, you know, in addition to it being an action show and a medical drama, yeah, there's the blood and the guts and the, and the kissing and all the, all, all the good stuff. But, you know, it is also about like the real beating heart in, in all of these people. And so that was really what drew me, I think, to, to this project, in addition to it being a cool show about planes and, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. Yeah, that, exactly. that is very well put, though, for when you guys see the show, you'll totally understand hmm. what he's talking about. Now, right away in the first nice. episode, Thomas, we get to see how much the elements play a role in the job of SkyMed pilots and nurses. Being able to be in that setting, though, while shooting, that had to really kind of raise the stakes for you a little bit. So did, did you kind of feel it when you were in those moments, even when you were shooting, just how difficult this job really is? And maybe it's easier to portray that when you're actually in it. Yeah, I mean, it was tough enough just being out in those conditions with all the luxury that being on a film set affords you, you know, like we had a, you know, we had a tent to go back to and there was a heater plugged in. So even if you're just, you know, caked with ice and it, it was cold, like we, we, we were filming in some seriously cold weather and just imagining that that's the conditions that these guys work in day by day by day. It's, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's a tough, it, it is a tough place, you know, it's, it's a tough place to work and it requires a certain amount of grit you know, encourage on behalf of, you know, everyone, because if something goes wrong, likely you're, you're kind of just out there on your own and you have to keep your wits to survive. And I think that's a big part of what Novak is in terms of like, you were mentioning the dynamic of the group, right? I think he, he doesn't really know very well how to play with others, but he does know how to do his job. And his job is to make sure that everyone comes home alive. And sometimes that may, means making a hard call, you know, and the call might be, okay, do we go into this valley to get this person who is, you know, whatever, got an appendicitis or something like that. At the same time, I'm risking my entire crew by going into something that's, you know, dangerous conditions, low visibility, all these things, all these factors that he's constantly running through his mind. And really, there's only one person that can make the call on that. And it's the captain, because, you know, someone has to take responsibility and someone has to make that call. So obviously, like, there's, so, there's, there's comforts where you work, where you work on a film set, there's always hot coffee, and there's always, you know, but yeah, I remember this one day where Natasha was filming and she was basically in a tank top and it was like minus 25 Celsius, windy, snowing, full on. And she's trying to basically drag this like 250 pound guy who's basically, I, I mean, I can't, I can't. Okay. I'm, I'm spoilers. I got to stop. I got to stop. But I mean, she went for it. Like she really went for it. She was, wow. she was so gung ho. She's like, yeah, get me out there. Yeah, man. Once the adrenaline wears off, you realize like how savagely cold it gets in the prairies, you know, in the wintertime with the wind. And it was fun, man. It was fun. I didn't, you know, it was cool to feel a little bit like you want to taste it a little bit, oh, yeah. you know, you don't want it to be too simulated. You know, obviously we did have some warehouse studio days, but for a lot of the wilderness stuff you see, that's just us out there. You know, <laughs> it was great, but there were some seriously cold days, like people's lips turning blue the second they roll the cameras because you take your coat off, you know, 15 seconds later, just the wind hits you and your entire body just drops like temperature. So it was, it was intense, but it was so much fun. And everyone on that show was just such a, so lovely and so wonderful. And they gave their all, you know, every day. Oh man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a ride. It was an adventure. So I hope if we capture any of that man on the screen, that'll be a win for me. I think you definitely do that, at least in the first episode that I saw anyway. But I want to go back to your time on The Order for just a second, because I remember Hamish was quite the mixologist. You want to talk about staying warm, that might be a good way to do it. So, I mean, you got to bring any of those skills to, to Noak on this role? Does he have another, like, secret talent that we don't know about, maybe? Man, you know, it's just so funny that, I mean, I don't know if I can even talk about this because it's revealing stuff, but you'll see the behavior and the, like, some of the work, some of the jobs, some of the talents I have are just so like eerily reminiscent of Hamish on the order. Like, let's just say like all those mixing skills, all that bar, all that bar work business that I had to learn. It's definitely going to serve me in this. So uh, I'm excited. It's always fun to get to play with the sets. They're always so incredibly detailed and so much love and heart goes into designing these sets, you know, the, the, the props and, you know, the art department, creating beer labels and fake whiskey bottles. And, you know, they, there's so much love and detail put into, you know, every single room and, you know, not a lot of it really ever gets highlighted. So just for me to get to play with that, you know, it makes my job easier. It makes it a little less scary when you've got a, a bar rag, you know, a kitchen rag in your hand, you can do so much stuff with that. And it's just kind of like 
for me, I definitely feel comfortable when I've got, you know, props and, and, and stuff to work with. So yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Stay tuned. It's, ah. it's so funny. As much as I've wanted to escape the dark, broody, strong, silent type, kind of menacing, but also <laughs> a bit of a softy, you know, it's, I mean, here I am playing Novak and, you know, it's not so different. <laughs> but it's all good at the same time. But it's all, it's all good, good, man. It's great. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, before I let you go, Thomas, I mean, we'd be remiss if I didn't talk about something really cool that you've got coming up as well called The Boys in the Boat, which is based oh, on yeah. the true story of the eventual Olympic champion rowing team of the mid-1930s. Yeah. So what was it like being a part of that story and getting to work with George Clooney as your director? Because that had to yep. be really cool. That was cool, man. One of the most surreal experiences ever was us filming one of the more climactic moments in the film you know and it, it's like a boat race obviously it was you know it was incredibly you know we're given our all basically we've been training for months and months and months to be able to look like and perform like arguably what is the greatest rowing team you know of their generation to walk the face of the earth so, no pressure no pressure. yeah we were us. all just a tiny bit terrified <laughs> you know and of course yeah like you know george clooney's a, is is he's a mega mega celebrity he's like old hollywood you know what i mean it was it was such an incredible opportunity and such a privilege to kind of, you know, learn from that and just get a taste of what it's like being directed. And the, yeah, it was wild. We're filming this crazy scene where we're just going balls out on this on this row and Clooney just walks out while the cameras are rolling and he starts playing Take Me Down to Funky Town on his little Bluetooth speaker and just kind of rocking out maybe like three feet away from us, walking, making his way up and down, just... And it was the most surreal moment of the entire experience because we kind of just we didn't know what to do. <laughs> we we didn't want to, like, let him dance on his own. Right. Because the boss is there, you know, grooving out. But we're also, you know, <laughs> filming what is, you know, probably one of the most like physically intense parts of the whole movie. So it was surreal and it was fun. He, he had a great, you know, he had a, such a great attitude, such a great sense of humor. Yeah, it was great. The work days were easy, fun. They moved fast. We got a lot done. You know, it, it was it was such a joy. And I can't wait for that film to come out because I think it's going to be something really special. So thanks for thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, it's hopefully coming out. Well, it's coming out next year sometime. I'm not sure when, but yeah, that was inc an incredible opportunity. That was two months of training in England, learning how to row, and then three months of filming. And it's, I, I think it's gonna be an amazing movie. Like it's a huge part of American sports history, like the 1936 Olympics, you had Jesse Owens, of course, and you, you also had the, uh, the the junior varsity team from Seattle who, yep. who win gold, you know, it's not, it's no mystery, like the history's there and it's, it's already, you know, published a lot. And there's a great, great biographical novel called The Boys in the Boat that the film is based on uh, that everyone should definitely go read. It's a really good, book and it really sort of makes you feel the essence of being in that boat and it's really a special experience and to be in that 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 craft for you know five months with eight other guys eight other actors we were all novice rowers when we came onto that project and everyone just gave their all there was some incredibly tough days and i'm just so proud of what we were able to do so if we're able to capture like the essence of rowing and the speed of it and just it's it'll be a really special film and i don't think anyone's ever captured rowing in the same way on film you know I, I saw top gun recently and that was such an incredible ride like just just what we can do these days with really capturing the, the real essence of of the speed and the wow it was like unlike anything will coben who was you know my 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 colleague and my my castmate on the on the boys in the boat he said it best he said you know what like I didn't want to see any other movie than that movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That movie yep. was exactly why I want to go to the cinema. And so if we're able in any way to capture, you know, the, the real speed of rowing, what it's like to be in that boat, I think it's going to be a really cool, cool film. So thanks. Thanks, man. It's no, Not a problem. Not a problem. We're going to put the oars down, though, for a second. We're going to pick the flight yoke back up because July yeah. 10th is when we're going to be seeing SkyMed on Paramount Plus. Get nine episodes dropping. And boy, does this guy have a really cool arc. The whole season. Wait till you check it out. It's Thomas Elms. Thank you so much, man, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, James. It's a pleasure as always. And this really is such a great cast. You can you can just hear it in the voices how much they they love being a part of SkyMed. And I know that you can hear you know medical drama. Oh, yawn. Oh, why would I? Be, here's why you want to watch it. There's a lot of adventure. There is a lot of drama. Sure. There's a lot of crazy stuff. They, even in just the first episode. I've seen the first episode. Even in just the first episode, some of the crazy stuff that just happens. In that one episode, 
it, it, it's really, really mind-boggling. And it makes you think to yourself, you know, like if I was in that situation, what, what would happen? What would I do? And, and it really gets the wheels turning in your mind. So that's one of the reasons I really wanted to bring SkyMed to your attention. And not just for that, but because of the amazing cast as well. So make sure you're streaming SkyMed on Paramount Plus starting this Sunday. Again, thanks to you, Natasha Callas, Morgan Holmstrom, and of course the wonderful Thomas Elms for joining me to talk about Skyman and more this week. Up next, time to get to the reviews. How about let's do some spoilers on the season four finale of Stranger Things. Let's do it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, this is Amelia Jones from Netflix's Rock and Key, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The battle for Hawkins is on. It is the season four finale of Stranger Things, and I got to tell you, definitely the, the stakes were raised for this when you knew it, all the hype was there and didn't live up to the hype. So I'm going to give my spoiler-filled review right now since it's been long enough and I really want to be able to talk about some spoilers here. But, you know, this is going to be all, a little bit all over the place. I'm not going to go, you know, you've watched it already. Why do you need me to tell you what happened? So you, you don't want me to do that. You want me to actually tell you what I think of what I saw and that's what I'm going to do. So one thing I have to say just right off the bat about Stranger Things and the Duffer Brothers is they know how to create moments that that make people a really psyched and b that are memorable and will be memorable for a while. You had the Kate Bush scene, and a lot of it is tied around music. You had the Kate Bush scene with Max and Vecna in the first part of season four, and now in this one it is Metallica, Master of Puppets, and Eddie Munson. And I got to say that is one that I'm definitely going to remember for sure, and it is already everywhere like that's one of the things that probably gets spoiled for you if you didn't get to see it right away was that because that was just an iconic moment this show knows how to create these iconic moments and not just for its main characters obviously but for any character really so I think that that was really really neat the one thing they also know how to do is create unexpected heroes like, you expect, in a lot of shows, you expect the main characters to save the day. Obviously, was Eleven a huge hero in this, this episode? Sure, she was the main hero of this latter part of the season. There's no question the way she, she saves Max, the way she takes down Vecna, albeit temporarily, we know that. But the way she does that, the way she brings Max back, however she did that, and I'm sure they'll get into that in season five. But she's obviously the hero of this season, but then you've also got 
these unsung heroes like Murray. Who knew that freaking Murray would be the one to come out blowtorch blazing to take down the Demogorgons in Russia and help save both Hopper and Joyce? And then you've got Yuri, who was the biggest. I could not stand Yuri at all at any point during this fourth season. And then he gets the pep talk, and all of a sudden he's Mr. Hero coming in with his with his chopper, his old chopper, and getting them out of there. Yeah, I've seen some some complaining about that. Like, really, where that that's a plot hole? Did he, how did he fly him all the way? Who cares how he flew him all the way back? Is that really the, the the thing you want to focus on right now? But that's just a couple of examples of unsung heroes, and this is not the first time that this show has done that either. I I don't know that I'd put Eddie in that category. I don't know that I'd go that far, and that's not a knock on Eddie or anything. And I, I love Eddie, and I loved what he brought to this season, and I'm sorry to see him go, quite frankly. But I don't know that I put him in the unsung hero category because I feel like he he did have a hero moment, but I don't know that I would say he's necessarily an unsung hero. So I, that's why I wouldn't put him in this category necessarily. But it's, it's not like he didn't have his big memorable moment, which is kind of better. I think, than being an unsung hero. Also, we got some really good character moments that we've been waiting for in this show, and that is, of course, the Joyce and Hopper reunion, like the real reunion, right? We get to see them come together, sure, and then they finally get to talk, you know, talk their feelings out, and and Hopper has the hilarious description of their date, and Joyce is like, really, you're thinking about food? And then he's like, yeah, I've been locked away eating garbage for like a year, for for forever. Yes, I'm thinking about food. Of course, he was kidding. But I loved that interaction between the two of them in their Hulk Hogan t-shirts. That was really really funny. And then you've got Mike and Eleven, and their relationship kind of you obviously taken it to the next level. Mike says I love you for the first time, and 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 really really gives a moving speech to help you know push Eleven through and and kind of give her the motivation that she needs to to battle Vecna. And kind of break the the spell that she was under, sort of thing, and, and b- basically end up saving the day. So I really, really loved those two moments. I thought that was great. I thought Brenner got what he deserved too. I thought that that was a really cool moment between between he he and Eleven, where you're waiting for Eleven to just give the dying man what he wants, right? Because he tries to say he did it all for her, blah blah blah, right? And you're sitting there going, just die, you know? I'm normally not that guy, but I was. When it came to Brenner, and she, when she just says goodbye and walks away, and you see the look on his face like he didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get that dying wish, and then off he goes. And that, that to me, was also super, super powerful. So that, that's another thing that I thought that this finale or finale of episodes did really well was also having some really powerful moments. And, and I, I'm seeing a lot of poor will. I really am, and, and I totally sympathize with that. But then you've also got he and his brother having that moment together where his brother kind of is like, I know, I know what you're not saying because I see it written all over your face and I'm your brother. You could talk to me about anything. I'll always love you. I'm always here for you. And that just, you could see not, not the complete burden, but a huge burden lifted off of Will's shoulders because Will basically kind of, it's, you could tell Will feels like he's alone. In a lot of different ways, right? Whether it be, you know, once they finally explore, you know, his his sexual sexuality, which I'm sure that they'll get to at some point because it looks like things are trending in that direction. Or it could also be, too, or at least part of it, and maybe not all just exploring his sexuality, but also the fact that, you know, Will didn't get to be a kid at all. And I've talked about that in past reviews of Stranger Things is that Will just never had... The, part of his childhood was ripped away by, as it turns out, Vecna. Because Vecna's been behind this from the beginning. And Vecna was the one that put Will through hell in the first place. We come to find that out. So because of that, Will never really got that, you know, play video games all the time, play D&D all the time. He was robbed of that, whereas those other boys, at least partially, got to have that experience way more than he did. And they, they were in the thick of it too at times, don't get me wrong, but then also they got to be kids more than he did for a lot of different reasons. 
So I don't think it's just, you know, is Will in love with Mike? I think Will's in love with, you know, his friends and the fact that he wants that bonding time with them. And he's just worried that everybody's going to go their separate ways. Everybody's got somebody but him. And he's going to lose that core group that he's just loved so much over the years and, and unfairly lose them, I think, in his mind as well. You know, like it's not his fault that this happened to him. And yet it seems like everybody's drifting apart sort of thing. And and he's the one that's kind of left to to kind of just just be alone. So I think that there's a lot of deep character moments coming for Will in this fifth season. And I'm sure they'll be tying the, those loose ends up and giving us answers to what's going on with Will coming up in this fifth season. But I do think, I thought the action was really, really solid in this in these finale episodes too. I loved the fight between Vecna and Eleven. I thought they did a great job with that. I really thought that, you know, they made him seem unbeatable. And I thought that that was really, really cool. And the fact that, you know, it was almost like a, almost like a miracle, like they said, that you end up not killing him though, taking him down, sure. Killing him, no. We figured that out. And we knew that kind of, we kind of knew that going in the Duffer Brothers kind of, you know, ripped the, ripped the bandaid off of that, that he wasn't actually going to die, that he was just going to, you know, be hurt. And then when Will, when they get back to Hawkins and Will's like, yeah, I, now I can feel him again now that I'm here. Because that's one of the reasons that Will, you know, left Hawkins in the first place. And that, of course, is going to be setting up this season. I also like the fact that they thought they won, right? They thought that they'd won, and then Hawkins gets torn up, and it's a loss, but not a loss, right? Like, they were certainly plenty that was saved, but then Hawkins being devastated at the same time was a huge burden on the group. And I got to tell you, the plan that they had, Nancy's plan and Steve and, and, and Robin and all them, I really thought they, their plan was solid. I mean, you want to talk about a plan that was thought through step by step. You don't get to see that in shows like this either usually. I mean, you they had a point-by-point point plan where it looked like they'd thought of almost everything. And I really, really thought that that was cool. And I thought that the, normally I'm like, really, that's what you're going to do? That's stupid. That's never going to work. This plan, I was like, you know what? This might actually have a chance at working. As much as I was told throughout this enti- these entire last two episodes that... Your friends are gonna. Your friends are gonna lose. It's not gonna work. I'm like, you know what? Shut up. I think it's gonna work. I think that they've actually got a good plan here. Now, does it go sideways several times? Sure. Was it all their fault? No, because you can't think of every possible scenario, right? But they really did a good job at trying to trying to do that. And I thought it was a solid plan that just didn't, at the end of the day, end up working out. I mean, it kind of did too at the same time because they did get to. Molotov cocktail Vecna there a little bit. So that was that was something that they were able to do. So they, they ended up, the end result of the plan is is kind of what they wanted other than the fact that they didn't kill him. So, and and I do want to talk about the body count too, speaking of which, because you, the, the whole stuff that's come out with Millie Bobby Brown saying they need to kill more characters and the Duffers saying, you know, this isn't Westeros. We're not going to do that sort of thing. And I don't think that it's a controversy at all. I think it's all in good fun, but I definitely... If you listen to last week's show when I talked about the trailer, obviously I thought the body count was going to be higher. I thought it was going to be way higher for this season because we were kind of told that it would be, right? And I call I called it for Eddie. I'm sorry. I, I knew that Eddie wasn't going to make it. I just really, really did because that's what they do with, with characters like Eddie is they build you up, you, they make you love him, and then they kill him off sort of thing. So I'm not upset, really. I was at first, and then I was like, you know what? Now that I think about it, they... There really shouldn't be that big. There was not. There was not a need to be that big of a body count. But you know, in teasing that, they made you think that, that any character's fate fate could have been sealed in this episode. So yeah, they said, "Well, there's going to be a body count." You saw that. You know, you saw all kinds of quotes about that coming into this. So you expected a bloodbath and didn't get one. So that was very, very effective. I thought and creating a little bit more of an edge to this season and making you think that it just might not work out for a lot of your favorite characters. But there's a lot of loose ends certainly still to tie up in this upcoming fifth season. They said the episodes aren't going to be as long in this fifth season. I'm all about that because, man, it was tough getting through these episodes, even though I loved it. 
It was really, really hard. Yeah, I got three young kids at home, and I can't let them watch this show. They're not old enough yet. So getting through this was definitely tough for me. But I enjoyed every every second of it. I thought this was a really solid season from start to finish. I thought that they they definitely moved a lot of the character stories forward. They always seem to be able to introduce new characters properly. The way that Steve's character has evolved throughout the course of the show is just incredible to me. Being a character that I, that I hated, and now he's one of my most loved characters on the show, and I know I'm not alone in that. And is there still a chance for he and Nancy? I don't know. That's one of the questions hopefully we get answered coming up. But there's just so much to look forward to in this fifth season, for one. And for two, I've not lost my love for these characters at all. And the way that they continue to evolve them I think has been brilliant. So bravo to another amazing season of Stranger Things. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Season 4 of Stranger Things, the final two episodes anyway. Up next, going to talk about the boys. Yep, that third season's wrapped up. I'll do that one, though, spoiler-free next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Lou Diamond Phillips from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Is it the shock and awe that we were promised? The season three finale of The Boys just dropped on Prime Video. So that's why I'm going to do a spoiler-free review of this thing. And it looks like we're going to get the... You saw in the penultimate episode the big, big revelation about Homelander and Soldier Boy being his, his father, in a certain way anyway, being his dad. So it's like, okay, are they going to join forces and everything's going to go to hell? Is he, is he going to end up trying to kill his son anyway, and what's going on with Homelander and his son, and how is that whole thing going to shake out? And I will tell you this, and again, I am sworn to secrecy on this episode, and I am not not going to spoil this for you. You'll get answers to those questions. That much I could tell you for sure. And you saw you know, Annie's concern for Huey, and even Butcher a little bit, obviously not as much Butcher, but certainly a little bit for Butcher as well. So you see a whole bunch of things that are about to sort of culminate. And also, you know, Annie just going right after Homelander. And I got to tell you, Annie getting really just right up in Homelander's grill has been really, really surprising. And I, and I think a really cool part of this season. Because I don't necessarily see her as meek. We know that Annie's tough. But the way that she stood up to Homelander like nobody has. I mean, even Maeve. Maeve certainly stood up to Homelander. Not like this. Not like this at all. And I think that it's been really, really cool to see Annie be the one that does this. And, of course, I talked about the the kind of team up between her and M.M., which has been really, really neat. And kind of getting the boys back together. But with Annie kind of running the show, which I think has been... Really well, Annie and MM. I mean, it certainly hasn't been all Annie. I, I will say that. So her and MM running the show has been really was really really neat. And then of course you get Frenchie and and Kumiko together as well, and that has been really really cool. You kind of get to see what happens to them a little bit, and especially Kumiko's arc takes a little bit of a turn in this episode as well. So a lot of things that de- that definitely get rounded out in this final episode. There's some really interesting stuff with the deep, as you might expect, that comes up in this episode too. There's some A train stuff that I think is really, really interesting. And I will say, you want to talk about a body count? There's a body count in this episode. I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not even going to tease it, but I will tell you that there is a body count in this episode. Is it who you think? Maybe, but I think you might be surprised at something or a couple of somethings in this episode for sure. And what's interesting is what happens with Homelander throughout this episode. And especially when it comes to, to Maeve and Homelander and how that dynamic has been kind of boiling to a certain point. And I really love their moments together in this episode. I thought they did a really, really good job putting that together. And it's almost like you've been waiting three seasons for this. You've been waiting for this to kind of bubble over. And, and when you finally get to see the, the result of that, it's, it's really, really cool the way that they kind of 
made you anticipate that in such a short amount of time too. By the way, I, I will say that it's not like this is something that that just sort of you know was it was built up over time, but at the same time, it feels like it came to a head really, really quickly. And there's some interesting stuff with uh, with Victoria Newman. I can tell you that much too. There's something very interesting that happens with her, and you get to see you've seen her and Homelander kind of get up in each other's face as well too. So that's that's been really, really interesting to see, but. There's a lot of moments in this episode and something happens with Butcher as well toward the end of this episode. And that is really, really going to make next season interesting because it's it's going to be something where, you know, Butcher isn't necessarily an open book. And you saw that when he started taking the temp V in the first place. And that kind of, you know, him not being exactly one to share what's going on with him. I think having that be a part of next season with what we find out at the end of this season should be interesting. And what happens with Vaught should be another thing to watch out for in this upcoming fourth season as well. Again, if you want to talk about action, this episode really, really has some great, great stuff in it. And there's also some stuff that's gonna that that'll make you chuckle a little bit. At least I did anyway. Maybe I shouldn't have, but I did anyway. And then you've also got those moments where, you know, you, you grow to love this team, or at least I have anyway, anyway of the boys, and the way that they kind of have tweaked the dynamic a little bit at a time has been really really fun, and to see them to be able to do that and weave that together has been really neat and and things it certainly changed and it's just it just feels right the way that they ended this season felt right and it felt like there were a lot of different places that they could certainly go with this and there's a couple of very interesting things that happened right at the end of this episode that make you go wow so if that's what they're going to do and that's the precedent that they're going to set then Look out for season four because this could be, you know, you thought that some characters were out of control in season three. Wait till season four because it might get worse. And I'm not, again, I got, I can't spoil it. I'm not going to tell you who, but let me tell you, there's some stuff that could spin out of control even more than it was before. And the balance of power also could really be shifting and the focus of the boys shifting as well, maybe there's a tease for you. If you haven't already watched the season three finale of the boys, get on that. Another great season for them as well. And I can't wait for the upcoming fourth season. That's going to do it for my spoiler free review of season three of the boys. Up next, let's tackle some nerd news, find out more Comic-Con stuff. It's going to be going on as well. I'm James with This is the down and nerdy podcast. Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to me on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Could we finally be getting the defenders that we deserve? It's time for nerd news, and this is maybe rumor-ish, so I want to really preface that before I talk about this, but the Hollywood Reporter was the first to report that Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio are going to appear in the upcoming Echo series from Marvel Studios, on Disney Plus. Now, remember, we had Charlie Cox in Spider-Man No Way Home, so Matt Murdock is already kind of in the MCU based on that, right? So let's get that out of the way. We also saw Vincent D'Onofrio in Hawkeye. No surprise there. Also, no real surprise that, you know, he might still be alive. The Kingpin might still be alive. That that just shouldn't shock anyone. Now, to kind of to further this, as part of the report, there's also part of this that says that one of Matt Murdock's arcs in the show is he's going to be looking for a former ally. Now, this is where things start to get very rumorish and complicated. So, I don't know if you noticed on Disney+, Plus, but they actually changed the name of the Jessica Jones series to AKA Jessica Jones. Now, I get it. Minor change. They updated some of the artwork as well. That's not really a huge deal because, you know, why wouldn't Disney do that? Moving into Disney Plus, and why wouldn't Marvel do that? But the timing is weird. With all of this coming out, the timing is very strange. And then you, you're starting to see reports of, well, could Jessica Jones be that ally? Could she be the one that's also going to be introduced 
in the MCU and the Echo series somehow. The Weekly Planet's actually gone on to report this. I don't know that we can go that far yet. Just my opinion. I don't think we have enough to go on to actually report it. Could it be possible? Sure. Is it something that we can flat out report? I don't think so. I don't. Th- I'm certainly not ready to do, to do that. But again, Marvel Studios seems to find a way to kind of gateway characters into the MCU using other films, using other shows to kind of work in certain characters that they want to use later on. And certainly, this is a possibility. It makes sense for Charlie Cox to be an Echo. It obviously makes sense for Vincent D'Onofrio to be an Echo. But Jessica Jones is not outside of the realm of possibility. It, it certainly doesn't make sense for Iron Fist or Luke Cage to be an Echo. Makes zero sense whatsoever. So you can rule them out. But if we're talking about allies, now, could it be Karen? Sure. Could it be Foggy? Absolutely, it could be Foggy that he's looking for an Echo, if in fact that report is true. But Jessica Jones seemed like, to me anyway, the more likely of the Defenders characters to be introduced to the MCU sooner rather than later. Not just because Jessica Jones is a highly underappreciated show from that Netflix run. I, th- I would put it number two behind Daredevil. I know some people think I'm crazy there. Now, it's a close race between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage as far as how good shows were. But Jessica Jones was not appreciated as well as it should have been. And Kristen Ritter specifically was fantastic in that role. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if we get Jessica Jones introduced somehow. Now, what's the future beyond that? Don't know. I think a lot of that's going to have to do with the response to the character should she appear in Echo. And what is the future of all of these Defenders characters? Quite frankly, we just we just don't know that. There's, you know, the, apparently the Daredevil reboot is in the works. What's that going to look like? We have no idea what that, could, what that could look like. And I'm not sure you could do Jessica Jones any other way than the way that Netflix did it. I'm not sure you could do the character justice otherwise. So this is all a bunch of, you know, it would be cool if it happens kind of stuff. And, and normally I like to leave these these kinds of reports alone, but this one was a little bit too interesting. And there's a little bit too much coincidence here to pass up. So let me know what you think. You can either tweet at down and nerdy seven five seven or you can actually email to down and nerdy podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think about this whole thing and how you think it's going to shake out. Before I get to some cool Comic-Con stuff, I want to talk about a couple of trailers. Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, is coming to Netflix on August the 5th. Of course, part of that deal with Nickelodeon and Netflix to, to do certain movies and things like that. Now, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is always one of those. It's been very different from a lot of other Turtles series that you've seen, both character design-wise, visually, animation, animation style. And you get a little bit more younger version of the Turtles. At least it feels that way. Anyway, but we're also going to get Casey Jones from the future coming back to tell these young turtles that, hey, Krang's coming. It's going to be bad. We need to stop this now. Now, did, did they take it seriously? Not necessarily. You see that in the trailer and you get to see, you know, they're kind of they're, they're, their powers get taken away, meaning the turtles. I know it's a little bit again, a little bit different. Just follow me on this. And you have to kind of learn to try and save the world without them sort of thing. And so I, I think that this actually has a chance to be both fun and meaningful at the same time. And I think that you, you kind of get some of the fun from the series anyway, especially if you've been watching from the beginning. But this trailer actually looks like it, it. this is why this needs to be a movie, first of all. And second of all, it looks like we might get a little bit deeper than we usually do in the regular series. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's still going to be plenty of, of, of adventure and fun and things like that. And you see that in the trailer as well, so I'm not worried about that at all. But I really do think that this has a different tone to it, doesn't it? That it feels like it does anyway than the series itself. And I really think that this one, as as someone who I admit that I'm not the biggest fan of Rise of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the world, but when I saw this trailer, I was like, you know what? This has a this has that classic Turtles vibe to me with a little bit of a twist on it. This feels like something that could have come out of the comics, story-wise, and that's what interests me. So Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie coming to Netflix on August the 5th. And you might have missed this one too, Hamster and Gretel, which is going to be coming to Disney Channel on August the 12th. This one just looks 
so much fun. Basically, the gist of this series is, if you don't know, is that you've got a young girl named Gretel and her older brother, Kevin. Now, they're supposed to get powers together. Something happens, and the powers end up going to Gretel and her pet hamster, which is named Hamster, by the way. And I I love that because I had a turtle named Turtle once, so I totally get it. Now... You get to see these abilities flashed in this in the first official trailer, which is up now at downandnerdypodcast.com. You also get to see Kevin obviously frustrated that he didn't get the powers and, you know, trying his best to, to sort of help out and figure out what he can do. And you just see some fun and strange villains and the superhero costumes are, are very basic but funny at the same time. Hamsters can still show. I can already tell that right now. I'm, I'm sorry that that's just the way... It's going to work. And, and Beck Bennett as Hamster voiceover-wise is going to be really, really great. And, and again, a wonderful voice cast that's a part of this as well. This is not... You wouldn't have expected a superhero series. If you look at the poster, there's going to be a ton of really interesting and cool villains, it looks like, it's design-wise. We have no idea what their power sets or anything could be. But I think this one could be the one that might surprise you and might not just be for the kids. It just could be one of those fun escapes that like even if you have kids, right, you can watch this one and still have fun with the superhero elements of it. And it won't drive you crazy. So Hamster and Gretel, that's August the 12th on Disney Channel. Of course, they can have a Comic-Con panel as well. You can get more info on that down at nerdypodcast.com. But The Walking Dead, of course, entering its final season this fall is going to be taking their final Comic-Con bow, as the press release said. And boy, do they have some interesting stuff coming up for fans. And I, I don't really like to break down all this stuff, but this one's kind of too cool to pass up. The Walking Dead fan celebration. If you're going to be lucky enough to be in San Diego during Comic-Con, this one's going to be on Friday night, July the 22nd at 7.30. And I want to run through this really quickly. They're going to have you know set pieces and props and things like that from the entire history of the show which if you're a diehard, that's amazing to be able to see. There's going to be an exclusive pin that you could be able to pick up. There's going to be custom designed shirts that'll be there. The Commonwealth's Taste of Tradition ice cream will be there with all kinds of other food and stuff. And it's going to be more giveaways too. The ticket information, not available yet. But I mean, talk about a fun celebration for fans that have been there. And The Walking Dead is such a staple. At Comic-Con. You know how weird it was for me? And I mentioned this in the article I wrote on downandnerdypodcast.com was that it was weird not seeing the Walking Dead show logo on the Comic-Con badge this year. Much as I love Lord of the Rings, I just expect, I expect it to be the Walking Dead. And it wasn't this year. And it was just, that was just very, very different. Now, they've also got a couple panels, both going to be on Friday. Of course, Tales of the Walking Dead going to be the anthology series. That one will be at 1230 on Friday. The Walking Dead panel itself is going to be at 1.30 on Friday. Both of those happening in the Hall H. Of course, you'd expect that from AMC. Also, I want to point out Anne Rice's interview with the Vampire. Going to be having their panel on Saturday at 2 o'clock in Ballroom 20. That one's going to fly under the radar, being a really, really good show, I think. So I wanted to point that out, too. But this is, this is a proper send-off. This is what you do. When you know your show's entering a final season, you've got an event like Comic-Con coming up. You go all out to make sure that your fans get what they deserve story-wise and things like that. And not just that, but also a chance to say goodbye to a show that's been running for 11 seasons, has had so many great Comic-Con moments, and just really, really put itself out there as as a mainstay for its fans and the Comic-Con experience. So bravo to AMC for pulling out all the stops as usual for The Walking Dead. Quickly, I want to tell you that Hall H is actually going to be kicked off this year by Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Paramount Pictures is going to be bringing this movie to Comic-Con. That's going to be noon on Thursday, the first Hall H panel of the year this year. But they're, they're also going to have their own kind of tavern experience. You get to walk in to the tavern. You can, you know, get a peek inside of the world of the new movie. There's going to be photo ops, freebies, and a whole bunch of other stuff. There's going to be Dragon Brews available. And Boss Logic can have some custom artwork from the movie there as well. So another very, very cool experience if you're going to be in San Diego. Of course, again, get that information down at nerdypodcast.com. That'll tell you when the tavern's going to be open 
and all of that different stuff. But it looks like things are starting to finally take shape. The official schedules are coming out for Comic-Con as well. And yeah, I'll be there keeping you up to date on all of the happenings during the event. And just keep keep an eye on that. One of the best ways you could do that, follow on social media at Down and Nerdy757 on Twitter and Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. In case you can't tell, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I've already given out the website address like 70 times. Not going to do that again. Remember, we're a part of the Realm Network now, so make sure you're subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, also on Spotify, on Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate your subscription and to you for listening as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine. Coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.